0: If you look on the um, screen, I want you to see if you know, if you've ever seen one of these before. Has anyone ever seen one of these before? Do you know what it's for, anyone? Any ideas what that's for? For children to fall off. That's what it looks like, doesn't it? This is called, sorry? children It's called an urban window baby cage. They were big in the 1930s. It's good for babies to have fresh air was the idea. Where do you put them? You hang them in a cage outside the window. What could go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? There we go. How about this? Anyone know what this is? What's that for? I see one of those? You, you can buy these on Amazon and probably at other retailers as well. Not bad. Who said eggs? Who said eggs? Eggs. It's a pair of egg scissors, of course. So it is, egg scissors. Every household needs a pair of egg scissors. What are they for? You don't know until so you're told, do you? What about this? What about us? What about people? What are we for? You don't need to answer that because that's the rest of the service. What are we for? What are we for? And where do we find an answer? Well, this morning we are going to be looking at the first 11 chapters of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Um, A few years ago, we looked at these chapters on a Sunday morning. um, And next week, uh, we're going to pick up from chapter 12, um, our journey through Genesis. So this week, the aim is to get up to speed, really. And speed, I guess, is the word. 11 chapters, thousands of years of history, um, all going to be covered. Um, so much that we're not going to see. Um, if you're interested in what we saw last time, um, all those sermons are on the internet, so you can have a look. The question is who are we? Now, our world is pretty confused about this, I think. Like a ship in a storm without an anchor, it's blown this way and that way. We need to find a fixed point, an anchor. So we're going to start at the very beginning, because that is a very good place to start. So Genesis 1 verse 1 In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Stunning. God sets the stage by creating the stage. And then as we read on God said and it was he sets up the whole cosmos. A God is introduced as the one from whom everything comes. And his creating stretches over those 6 days. Each day he speaks, he says and it is as he says. And then he assesses what he does. Again and again, he looks and he sees that it is good. On the sixth day, he creates people. He created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is good. This is good. God God creates the world and he creates people in the world. And, And how does he deal with the people who he's made in the world? Well, the verse after this, God blessed them and said to them, the maker speaks to them, and His speaking as his blessing, and his blessing is that they go and they fill up the whole earth so that the earth, the whole world, is filled with those bearing the image of God. And so after the six days, on the end of the six days, God looked at everything he had made. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. The heavens declare the glory of God. We know that. And we look at the vastness of the universe, or we're struck by the beauty of a sunset and we must conclude the one who called it into being is, is great beyond description. But the sixth day isn't the end. There's another day in the week, the seventh day. That's what it says. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating he had done. What's going on? What's going on? We'll look at the screen again. And uh, I was going to show you a picture. Who is in charge here? Who's in charge? Who's in charge? Dan? It's the Queen, actually. It's our Queen. Queen Elizabeth II on her coronation day. How, How do we know the Queen's in charge? She's got a crown, Yvonne? She's sitting on the throne. That's how we know, isn't it? Who's in charge here? This guy with the funny little... Mustache thing. How do we know? It's obvious, isn't it? We don't know who he is. Don't know anything about him. Some old picture I found on the internet. We know we know who's in charge because he's sitting on the throne. How about here? Who's in charge here? Who's in charge over the world? How do we know? Well, this is what Genesis says. God rested. What is that rest? You read on through the Bible, other places, many other places. But here's one. Psalm 132 explains it. God says, this is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned. God's resting is when he sits on his throne. God rested. He'd completed the work of creating. He had no more creating to do. So he sat on his throne to begin his work of reigning. God reigns. The seventh day proclaims the reign of God over all creation. And it tells the effect. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested the result of his rest is a blessing a holy blessing a unique and wonderful blessing that comes under the reign and the rule of the creator so we move on into Genesis 2 and we see that this most high this most awesome God designs a place for people to live a a place for people to enjoy relationship a paradise a place where heaven meets earth it says in Genesis 2 now the Lord God had planted it A garden in the east in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all the kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is blessing under the reign of God. He makes this paradise. It's filled with good things. A place for people to enjoy the life of blessing. Because God is good and God is God. God is, is sublime in power. He's ridiculously generous in his goodness. He lavishes it on creation. He blesses. And and all happiness and all goodness and all life comes under his reign. So do you know what we are? Do you know? Do you know what we are? We've got to answer that question by going back to the origins and to the beginning. And we listen to the one who was there in the beginning. Musicians, this is your cue. We listen to the one who was there in the beginning. We hear his design and we hear his purpose. So do you want to know who you are? What do we do? We listen to him. We don't look inside here. We don't look out there. We listen to the one who made everything. So we're going to sing again a wonderful song. This song is brilliant. The theology in this is awesome. I want to, this is what the chorus says, I want to know who I am, so I'll listen to you because you're God and you tell me what's true. So let's stand and sing together. Beginnings, Genesis, blessing introduced and then Genesis 1 and 2, they tell us of, of how God creates, how his creation is his blessing and it's good. And he rules and under his rule, life flows, the life of blessing, of abundance. But then that world of blessing is interrupted. You see, in the garden, uh, the Lord had said to Adam, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Adam had no experience of what that dying would be like but he he had to trust the word of the king of heaven a blessing comes under the rule of God Uh, but then the crafty snake twisted the word of God in Genesis 3 everything is turned upside down good is called bad and bad is called good and they they did what God said not to do because they didn't trust that what God said was good or true and the impact of that rebellion it spreads out from Genesis 3 you see, people are removed from paradise. Blessing becomes curse. In Genesis 4, we, we see how the ugliness of sin works out as Cain murders his brother and then the descendants of Cain uh, build a civilization, a godless society where wickedness is celebrated. And, th- and then you read on, you get to Genesis 5, and you hear the, the family line of Adam, the, the generations are listed. And, and after every generation, the line is repeated, and he died. And he died again and again. Sin's victory is claimed over every generation. Sin is saying, it's all mine. Death is reigning. And then the fall goes deeper and deeper. We get to Genesis 6 and we hear of God's assessment. The Lord saw. Back in Genesis 1, it says the Lord saw all he had made and it was very good. But then in Genesis 6, it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time Genesis 2 the wages of sin is death God doesn't go back on his word wickedness will meet the judgment of God so in Genesis 6 to 8 we have the flood what's going to happen here it's like this when you go to turn off your computer is it a complete shutdown and put it away what happens with the flood God hits this button the restart button the reset He deals with a sin-ruined world by wiping away life, and and he returns the world to its pre-creation conditions. And then, like restarting a computer, the programs begin to reload as the world is put back into place. And and as it happens, as we read through Genesis, we've got to be asking, where is the blessing? Has it just been interrupted or obliterated? And, And that's the question that we want to be asking, because we don't live in paradise, you might have noticed whole world is the world that fell, and we see it all around us. But where is blessing? Where is it? We well, you know in the deep darkness of Genesis 6, there's a sudden beam of light. The book of Genesis is arranged into sections. Each section is introduced by saying, this is the account of, and then it gives you an account. Then this is the account of, as you move through the sections. Genesis 2.4, Genesis 5, one, you get the account of Adam's family with the reign of death. Genesis 6, 9 begins a new section with the account of Noah and his family. So the account of Adam reaches its conclusion with this devastating analysis from God that is only wickedness. And then the very last bit of Adam's account is Genesis 6, verse 8. The very last thing in that section is this, but Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. The word favour is grace. Noah is not different to anyone else in Genesis 6. All people are corrupt. The world is corrupt. Over everyone hangs the sentence of death. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin are clear. But Noah found grace. God's grace, God's favour finds the undeserving. And so we dare to ask as we go into the story of the flood, might there still be blessing? So we come to the world after the flood. Genesis 9 is not Genesis 1. The flood has happened because of the wickedness of the human heart. And after the flood, God says, every inclination of the human heart is evil. There's nothing that's changed about the human race. There's a a permanent limp. And it's a limp that we know. We we see it as we look at conflicts around the world. We we see it in, in tears of grief and in sickness. We see it in our own muddled hearts. In Genesis 1, it displayed the the great goodness of God, the, the generosity of God, but humanity threw it back in his face. And that sin still rules in the human heart. So we ask, how will God relate to this broken world? Well, God speaks in Genesis 9, verse 1. And it says, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And we think we've been here before. The same words that God used to Adam, he uses again. The words of blessing. And this word bless, it's a kind of weird old word, isn't it? We use it in such a kind of light-hearted way. The the word bless comes from the idea of kneeling. Not not kneeling before someone, but of of someone sitting on your knee, a child sitting on on a father's knee. The the idea of blessing is this. It's of a a father taking a child and putting the child on his knee and showing that that child is wrapped up in the care and the support of the family. The child is accepted. The child is safe. The child is loved. The child has a place in which to prosper and to thrive. God blesses people not so that they exist, but so that they live under the care and the provision of the creator. It was remarkable in Genesis 1. But there are dark days between Genesis 1 and Genesis 9. Between Genesis 1 and 9, there is rebellion and wickedness and murder and strife and and selfish desires that crush God's God's world, God's creation. Genesis 9-1, then God blessed. And the objects of blessing are the representatives of the whole of humanity. All people get caught up under the blessing. God is is gathering a wayward people onto his knee to show that they are accepted within the safety and care of his family. It's astonishing. And in Genesis 9, God goes on to put himself under obligation to do this. He says this in Genesis 9, 11. I will establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of the flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. God commits to preserve the world, to preserve life, even though he said... Every inclination of the human heart is evil. God is committed to bless. He's not going to let his work fail. And to help us understand the commitment better, God adds a sign. He says, I have set my rainbow in the clouds. This, this rainbow, this bow, it's his weapon of warfare. God is saying, I am hanging up my weapons. The safety catches are on, the guns have gone back into the cabinet. He's showing that he has resolved to end the warfare. And whilst it's clear that sin continues to deserve his judgment, his covenant commitment is to make room for mercy to flow. So God binds himself. He puts himself under obligation to preserve life and continue his creation project until all the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. You see, Genesis 9 is replaying Genesis 1 with a major twist of grace. Life is covenantal, fundamentally. Covenant is a committed relationship. God is committed. I've got to ask, do you see what God is like? Genesis 1 and 2, God pours out blessing for people to enjoy. Genesis 3, it looks like the blessing is lost forever because of sin. And then sin gets worse, it's so deeply embedded. But then the account of Adam concludes with Noah finding grace. And then after the flood, despite the human heart, God meets a sin stuck world with blessing, personal commitment, a gracious covenant as God moves towards people with blessing. So what does that mean for you this morning? Well, we're going to sing again as we begin to ask what it means for us this morning. In, in the midst of the darkness, God's grace shines brightly. We saw it with Noah. That sudden rush of joy as Noah finds grace. And we see it most of all in the Lord Jesus, who is full of grace. We see it as he continues his mercies to us day by day. So let's encourage our hearts and encourage one another as we sing about his great grace. Uh, enough of us probably know this to sing it, don't we, Paul? Please do take your seats. As we continue our our race through Genesis 1 to 11. Blessing introduced, blessing interrupted, blessing erupts. See, after the flood, Genesis 10, people begin to spread over the world. Genesis 11, God's restraining judgment ensures that his plans are not stopped, that people continue to spread over the world. And then the account of Noah ends. And then Genesis 11 and verse 10, we get a new section. This is the account of Shem's family line. And with this, there is a huge surge of momentum. See, this, this list of Shem's family, it brings us from the kind of dis- distant past into a world that's more tangible, the world of Abraham. Go to the, the British Museum today, you will see about the world of Abraham, what it was like. Now, this, uh, the momentum in this family list is seen when we compare it to Adam's family list in chapter 5. Uh, Adam's family list has that repeated line again and again, And he died and he died. Death reigns. That's the point. Death has such a hold. It's ruling. But when you get to the account of Shem's family line, the two verbs in the list are, he he became the father 25 times, and he lived 16 times. There's no mention of death in the family list. Genesis 5 is about the reign of death, but in Genesis 11, the focus is he lived. It's about life. Now, this account of Shem's family, the way that it's being told to us, is giving us a glimpse. It's a picture of life that's ruled not by death, but by life. In, in a sense, it's not real, of course, because death hasn't been defeated. But it's a promise, a picture. It's shining forward. You know, as, as we look at those two lists, I, I wonder whether we're more accustomed to Genesis 5 than he died. We know that reality too well, don't we? We're so used to living under a shadow of death that our, our eyes adjust to the gloom. And we forget death is not part of the design. When someone says, oh, death's just a part of life, something within us ought to react deep within us, something primal, creational. We should object to say, death is not part of life. It's an enemy, it's an intruder, and it's unwelcome. So the vision of Shem's family ought to thrill our hearts and raise within us deep longings for life that is ruled by life and death is gone. Then Shem's family line ends. and We get the account of Terah's family line. That's what we're told, the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor and Haran and Haran became the father of Lot. And we think, great, all more of the same. And then... While his father, Terah, was still alive, Haran died. Personal tragedy, and it screams out of place. The family of Shem, he fathered, he lived, he fathered, he lived, he fathered, he lived, and then Terah buries his own son. What next? It says, Abraham and Nahor both married. That, the name of Abraham's wife was Sarai. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now, Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Our attention is put onto this detail, telling us the same thing in two ways, childless, not able to conceive. It's, it's absurd, really, isn't it? It's, there's something absurd about recording childlessness in a genealogy. As the text zooms in onto the family of terror, we are confronted with untimely death and childlessness. It stands in stark contrast to the increase in the life of Shem's family. And we ask again, what then of blessing? Now, when life is really like this, isn't it? Now, isn't isn't Tara's family just realistically hopeless? A hope of blessing—it's—it's a fairy tale, isn't it? That this kind of immense, imperishable blessings of bliss, life with God, imperfect happiness forever—it's just wishful thinking, isn't it? There isn't any talk of blessing, just like Sarai's womb empty. You've got to see what God is like. Genesis 1 and 2, God pours out blessing for people to enjoy. Genesis 3, it looks like the blessing has been lost forever because of sin and that sin is deeply embedded. But then the account of Noah ends with that sudden rush of joy as Noah finds grace, a glimpse of hope. After the flood then, despite the human heart, God meets a sin stuck world with personal commitment to bless. God is moving towards his people in blessing. But we say, is it real? We get to Terah's family. Is it just hopeless like Sarai's womb? Well, then we have to ask, how does God respond to hopelessness? Genesis 12, the Lord speaks. He speaks to Abraham and he says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's an eruption of blessing. You know, an eruption is when it explodes out. An eruption is when it explodes in. God is exploding into the world. His blessing. And what kind of God do we meet in the pages of the Bible? Now for sure, it's one who's powerful more than anything else. A one who has complete authority, yes. One who is holy, yes. Yes, we meet that God. But as we come along, as we get to Genesis 12, we meet a God who is eager to bring blessing. The Lord speaks blessing. A return to paradise is imagined. And and what we have in Genesis 12, the beginning of 12, is, is the foundation for everything else that follows in all, of, all the Bible and all of history. Everything is put there in Genesis 12. The eruption, the ongoing eruption of these blessings until the world, until the end. It's where the Bible story is going to take us. So we ask, how does God deal with hopelessness? Well, he doesn't overlook the emptiness of Sarai's womb. Instead, God directs his promises. He directs all the expectations onto Sarai's family line. But she can't have children. We'll go on to see it. She tells God, I can't have children. And then she's beyond the age of childbearing. And the Lord says... Is anything too hard for the Lord? Do we understand how impossible the promises of God are? It doesn't get more possible as we trace the promises through history. Uh, All these promises of Abraham, they they grow and they grow and they grow and they land on Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 says, every spiritual blessing is ours in Jesus. It's all in Jesus, who offers life and fullness and blessing for everyone who will receive him. Who says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. He wins this life. He wins it. He wins this life by taking sin off his people. The sin that merited death, he bears himself. And he takes the judgment and he satisfies the claims of death. And he bursts in victory from the tomb. Death is swallowed up in victory. And then the risen Lord Jesus issues his message of hope that all who believe, all who trust him will follow him through death into life, into the life described in Revelation 21 when it says God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Blessing, blessing and blessing. There will be no more death. It will be life, ruled by life, ruled by the king of life and the king of love. But it sounds impossible, doesn't it? It's just madness. It's daydreaming. It's fancy-filled thinking. Apart from one thing, is anything too hard for the Lord? or as the lord jesus said with man it's impossible but with god all things are possible god doesn't overlook the barrenness the emptiness of Sarai's womb he directs his promises into the emptiness just like in creation he takes what is empty and he fills it up he takes what is nothing and from nothing he makes everything because that's what god is like see this is our history genesis 1 to 11 it's our history The movement of God toward an undeserving people. The movement movement of God toward an empty and a hopeless people. It's a movement towards you. His gracious covenant, his commitment, is the way that he chooses to relate to you. His commitment to preserve life, his commitment to bring to consummation, his creation blessings. God would deal with you graciously. And he knows the darkest depths of your heart. And he moves to you to bless you, to provide life for you, to restrain his judgment and make room for his mercy. And he doesn't overlook your emptiness. He doesn't skip by your hopelessness. He moves to you. He moves to you to gather you up onto his knee and to put you into that place of surrounded by his care and his safety and belonging to him. That's how God commits to deal with a world that has turned from him. Because though we turn from him, he never turns back on his commitment. And all the promises, all the promises are secured and they're sealed and they're settled and they're realised and they're final and full in the Lord Jesus. Every promise is yes in Jesus Christ. And so as we read at the beginning, praise. Praise be to the Lord. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What are we for? We're for being blessed. We're for being blessed by God Almighty. We are for being blessed and returning all the praise to Him. Do you know what you are for? Let's pray. Our God in heaven, please, would you help us to listen to you so that we might know that you are true, that you are truly the Almighty? And you're the almighty God who has has bent down to bless us with your unrelenting love. Lord, may we not think that our sin is a barrier to your blessing. May we not think that our hopelessness is a barrier to your blessing. And may we see that you've given to us every blessing in Jesus. And so return the praise to you as we wait for the fulfilment of all the promises. Amen.